Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Cricket Kid Radio. I'm your host, Roy Turner. We've got a great show for you. Uh, lots of great guests, uh, a very special episode. Uh, our special guest is actress and author Laura Cayuet. And basically what we're doing this week is the episode is focused largely on for the love of New Orleans. Uh, you, of course, remember Laura from movies like she was in Kill Bill. Uh, she was... Uh, uh, obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained, uh, lots of Quentin Tarantino uh, projects that she's collaborated on. And she's got this great new uh, series, this book series. Uh, the first installment uh, is called The Secret of the Other Mother. And it's uh, the first book in the Charlotte Reed series, which is set in New Orleans. Uh, and the book reads almost like a love letter to New Orleans. Uh, she lives down there, works down there, and this is a great ambassador for for that city. Um, and then uh, we're also going to hear uh, from uh, an amazing, amazing individual. Um, we're going to talk to Shanna Forrestall. Shanna is runs is spearheading uh, this relief program, again, that's happening down in New Orleans and all over Louisiana for some of the most devastated areas uh, that thanks to this bananas political climate this season, uh, has been grossly overlooked. And so I can't wait for you guys to hear from Shanna. She's going to teach you how to be a Cajun Santa this year um, with lots of great opportunities uh, for, for healing, not only people that need it, uh, but people that need to be healed and people that need to heal. Uh, so all of that. So I'm excited for you guys to, uh, uh, to hear from Shanna. Uh, also, uh, so we're going to start things off. We're going to go ahead and jump right on into it. Uh, with my good friend, Peter Kaufman. Uh, normally, as you know, I would have a co-host um, in person, but calling all the way from New Jersey, uh, actually right across the river here. Uh, but anyway, uh, Pete is a very, very unique individual. And the reason why I wanted to, to have him on is because, well, first of all, he's a great friend of mine. He's a great person. And I've wanted to have him on for a long time. And uh, he is, uh, you know, Back in whenever I was doing a lot more touring, we were touring with uh, Claude Coleman, Jr., the drummer for Ween, and uh, in his band, Amandala, for which Pete played drums. And uh, we have a lot of great New Orleans stories, so we're going to we're gonna tell a few of those. And, and But specifically, I brought Pete on for this one because him and his wife, Wendy, are actually about to move to New Orleans uh, in the upcoming spring. Uh, he, they're both life coaches, and they have a great business, and they want to also give back to uh, what is uh, one of their favorite cities. And that's interesting, too, because these two are New Jersey to the bone. Uh, so you can see the allure of the great city of New Orleans and the great city of Louisiana uh, to get these two uh, just born and bred and very proud uh, citizens of New Jersey uh, to come on down. So anyway, so without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and jump in and let's get Pete on the phone mine uh a long-time business partner awesome tour mate amazing entrepreneur my main man peter kaufman peter welcome to tricky kid radio what's up roy thanks for having me on the show of course man so listen so of course the reason why i brought you on this week was because a i've wanted to have uh your awesomeness bless this podcast uh at last uh, for real 
but, but specifically this week, of course, because we're talking about New Orleans, uh, you know, you guys are going to hear uh, from actress and author Laura Cayouette a little bit later. Uh, you're going to hear about the Cajun Santa uh, Foundation that's coming up this Christmas to uh, is a relief program for a lot of the people that are unfortunately um, have been affected by, you know, the floods and the storms. And, and so I brought you on because you and your wife, Wendy, both great friends of mine, are New, are New Jersey personified. I, I, I was telling you earlier, like, you know, I don't think that Bon Jovi and, and Springsteen combined have anything on you and Wendy in terms of your New Jersey-ness. Yes. For real, son. For real. <laughs> you go right there. <laughs> but yet, you guys have made the decision to move to New Orleans. I want to know why. Tell me about it. I've always been fascinated and in love with New Orleans. I'm, you know, I may be New Jersey to the bone, um, but New Orleans is you know, it's just a city that I love. I, I, I've been fascinated with New Orleans since I was, I don't know, my early 20s. I'm 43 right. now. So I've always wanted, it was always like my dream place to move, you know, just like the history. I, I mean, as a musician, and as an entrepreneur, I mean, but more early on in my career as a musician, I was always fascinated with the history of of American music coming up through New Orleans and uh, and and just spreading throughout the country and jazz and rock and roll and right, right, um, you know, just just everything. It's New Orleans was like where everything started for American music, pretty much. So I've been fascinated with that. And I've always been fascinated with, like, the culture and the history. Like, I mean, come on, man. New Orleans, like, hundreds of years ago, it was a pirate's hangout. I mean, that's right, where right. pirates used to yeah, hang out and drink, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, so, so, you know, as much as I love New Jersey, you know, dude, I love New Jersey. But the thing is, if you're from New Jersey or New York, like, it's a great place you know, because we have a certain, you know, dude, you're from Texas. So, you know, Texas is like another country, man. Like, right. like you're from yeah. Texas. There's yeah. an allegiance. But Texas, man, is very, you know, people are super cool in Texas. And, and yeah. Texas has this kind of cool bond. But, you know, in New Jersey, as much as I love it, you know, it's just very hard to live there as you get older, I think, you know, in terms well, of. Well, especially with the cold and, you know, all those years I spent in Brooklyn and. And, of uh, course. And so for you, you know, uh, you know, it's just like I can't, I kept hearing you saying it for years, like, man, this is my last, this is my last winter. But 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 it's it's less, it seems, more about uh, circumstantial and more about inspiration. So w- when was the first time you went to New Orleans? I went to New Orleans. My first time, I think, was maybe uh, around 1997. And how old were you? Time. And, and how old were you in 97? I was Probably. about 97, I think it was about 25, maybe, or 26, okay. some, somewhere around there. And I was, it's funny, I was actually scared when I, <laughs> when I went to New Orleans the first time. I was, too. I was, I was like, too. I was like, not scared of crime, but like, just, it was just like, you know, going to New Orleans is, New Orleans is like an, almost like another country in America. It literally is like being in a European country or something like because when you land there you don't even feel like you're in america like right. just everything is completely different than the rest of the country um 
And I remember I was just there, and it, you know, just all the stories. It's kind of stupid, right? But, like, if you've never been to New Orleans, you're thinking, like, voodoo and all the other crazy stuff. But, like, you no, know. I felt this. I felt the same way. I, I was actually, <laughs> instead of, like, being excited about going to New Orleans, I was – I was quite nervous and was hoping to survive New Orleans the first time. So I, I, yeah. I completely get that. But I think that that in itself is probably part of the appeal. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's so dumb. I mean, I went to uh, – like I was there with my first wife at the time. And like we were in a – we were in a um, – I wasn't going to say – I was going to say Airbnb, but that didn't exist back then. <laughs> we, we were in a, a, a B&B. And like, dude, we took a cab around a park just to eat at night because we were we were scared of walking through the park just because of all the, you know, I mean, I think I like read interview with a vampire like a month before I left. <laughs> like my 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 imagination and stupidity was on like full blast. So well, well, you know, but at the same time, however, you know, is is as enchanting and as magical as that city is, it has has its, its hardships, which has led to uh, did did your projections of New Orleans become the reality for you? Well, I was fascinated. I was scared, like you said. It's, it's that weird, like, you know, fear but fascination. Right. So I, I was fascinated, man. Like, I mean, the people are so cool down there, man. So cool and kind, and the musicians are so good. And the hospitality, that southern I've yeah. always been a fan of I've always been a fan of Southern hospitality. That's, I love Texas dearly. I, I really do. And, and New Orleans is, you know, very similar, but but maybe similar to like New York, New Jersey, where it's it's a little different. But the thing is this, though, um, Roy, you know, I started to get, I was starting to get angry living in New Jersey and New York. You know what I mean? Just yeah, like just sure. like the way people treat each other and the rush and everyone is just so yeah. sarcastic, and and so. Over time, several trips, and you know, I mean, come on, man, we've partied in New Orleans. You and I, man, I mean, we didn't even yeah. come home, like, all night. I remember that <laughs> night, you know, we were, we were on, like, Frenchman Street, and I don't even remember how I got home that night. Um, yeah, I remember Back that to the hotel. <laughs> I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to, the other day I was trying to remember where the, the hell we were even staying. I don't even remember, because New Orleans was, like, so off the chain that night. But the thing is, you know, for me, I was just, I was like, man, every time I go down, I really don't want to leave. You know, I, I didn't want to leave. Right. And I was like, man, I'm feeling, you know, now I have friends down there. I'm friends with Stanton Moore from Galactic. He's a buddy of mine now. And, and you, know, I'm, you know, there's just all these people I've become friends with in, like, little local places. Like, you know, some of my favorite restaurants or bars have become, like, you know, my, my extended family. And so every time sure. Wendy and I, we would come back up to New Jersey. I'd be like, well, why are we here, man? I mean, like, I don't really right. enjoy living here. And you know, Roy, because you and I have toured the country together when we were, you know, when I was doing more music at the time. And by the way, I am going to start doing more music again once we were, you know, all ready to go in New Orleans. But the well, thing I was going to ask you as well was is it, is it was that also a motivating factor? Was to kind of kind of get back to your music there a little bit too because there's so many opportunities there, you know. But but, but continue with your thoughts there. Oh yeah, man. Because New Orleans, man, is like you know, and it's it's a shame kind of how it had to happen. But you know, after Hurricane Katrina. You know, a, a lot of people left, and, and, and it, you know, that's a real drag, man, because, you know, the culture of New Orleans is based on everyone, not just, yes. you know, it, it, you can't you can't have the art and culture of a city when you push people out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's right. part of the art and culture. But, um, but you know, like, 
the rebuild of New Orleans had a, has attracted so many entrepreneurs and young people ready to rebuild this like magical city. And, and I just thought, man, you know, I've always wanted to move there in the past, but not depend on my music income to live there because, you know, I have a, ch- a daughter, I have responsibilities, I want a house, I can't right, afford right. to do the $50, gig thing anymore for a living. So, um, uh, so New Orleans was like, hey, man, n- now now we can actually, the opportunity is right for us to move here. We can build our business here. I can start playing, taking lessons from, like, the great drummers like Johnny Vidakovich or maybe try to study with Herlin Riley, uh, who's a great, well-known uh, drummer down in New Orleans. And, and so it's like, you know, it, it's everything for us. It, you know, but unfortunately... Yeah. A lot of people were pushed out of New Orleans because of Hurricane Katrina. Um, and, and that's another reason why, Wendy, we're like, well, well, my wife and I were like, Wendy and I are going to be like, if we're going to move there, let's at least contribute to the city. Because, you know, you did mention, right, in the 90s, it was the murder capital of the world. And that's we right. all know that crime, we know that crime starts from childhood, right? It, it starts from lack of education for younger people. And so we're part of a, a charity, a foundation down there called the Roots of Music Foundation, which is that you know money donated to this this awesome. uh, charity, yeah. That that they and you know where can they find where, kid, can people, where, where can people find that online, Peter? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, where can people find that online to make their own uh, contributions? Just go to Roots of Music uh, Foundation and, and you'll find okay. it. Just Google Roots of Music, and it's okay. great because it takes young kids from you know the urban communities and it puts them in a, in a, uh, like an after school program and teaches them how to play music and they perform, uh, you Fantastic. know, bands, marching bands in the street. And so, man, you know, you gotta, you know, New Orleans is about keeping it real and taking care of each other and, you know, the whole culture. You can't just move down to New Orleans and be selfish and live in your own bubble. There's no point in living right. in New Orleans. I mean, that's right. why I didn't, that's why I didn't move to somewhere warmer like Los Angeles. Or, you know, I was like, or Miami. I, I mean, I, I can't gel. No offense to those places, you know, but I can't. I used to want to go there, but I, I love the people of New Orleans. And that's, right. that's the, the neighborhood, the mixture of, of people, you know? Well, again, like I said, we, we, we talked about some of our friends. Obviously, you know, John Schneider uh, from Smallville and Dukes of Hazard fame has a studio down there. And, and uh, again, our I used to lift we, weights with him. Yeah, I used to lift weights with him in Jersey City. <laughs> True story. <laughs> story. Running, running him again, you know. And then, of course, our guest this week, our our, our friend Laura Cayouette, and that's what she's. And it's what you guys will, the listeners will get to hear. Uh, is it's all about contributions? It's all about a community of people that are striving, uh, you know, to to give back. And again, it's it's that wonderful kind of just uh, again a sense of community. And like and like you said, how you mentioned earlier about about getting angry. Uh, you know, you kind of find your personality kind of being altered by the geography is that, you know, again, I'm from Texas and how you mentioned about how, you know, how friendly and you know, how, how well you and I got along because Katrina. And you also remember we went down to the ninth ward and, and, and walked all the way down to where the levee broke. Remember, Claude, uh, Claude Coleman from Wien was, uh, we were there with his band, Amandala. And, you know, there were still like freaking cars and trees down there in 2007, but, Back at the hotel, yeah. and I was trying to remember the name of the hotel that we stayed at, but uh, in the middle of the night, I apparently started singing, and of all things that I was singing was Evelyn Champagne King's Love Come Love Down. Come down. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh! <laughs> 
many memories that <laughs> it's hard to. I mean, not just of New Orleans, just of the entire country. So, and a lot, and a lot of them, you know, I was my my brain w- was soaked in alcohol or or whatever <laughs> it was. So, and you would always be the one to keep me in check, and I appreciate you for that. For um, sure. But, but uh, the two incidents in New Orleans, and, and I don't, I know we're wrapping it up, so I don't want to, I don't want to make this long at all. But you, you know, uh, is you know. Evelyn Champagne King, Love Come Down, you singing that song over and over. Imagine, like, listeners, hey, on this podcast, just imagine taking the chorus of that song, ooh, you make my love, like, just over and over. Roy <laughs> Roy was singing that. Can, I can curse on here, right, dude? I can curse uh, on sure. here? Sure. Okay, Roy was singing that shit so much on loop that the other band members in the next room were banging on the freaking walls and they could hear that shit. Like, so, so like, like, and I couldn't stop laughing. That was the funniest <laughs> shit I've ever heard. And, and, and I, I mean, that was one of the defining moments in our friendship. Totally. You know, through, totally. And, and the other one, and the other really funny moment in New Orleans, I don't know if you remember this, was when we stopped at that Waffle House when oh. we were leaving... Do you remember that? Oh, and that waitress showing us some dirty uh, pictures on her phone? Yeah, for, for sure. Because we played One-Eyed Jacks, and she pulled out, like, I, I mean, like, only in freaking New Orleans. Like, I mean, the whole <laughs> yeah. staff, the whole staff was just, like, it, it was so unprofessional yet funny as hell. Like, the whole thing about you saying that, you know, up north we put our crazies in the attic, and in the south you got, y'all keep your – put the crazies on the front porch. You know, I just, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? It was amazing. Like I've never, like we've been to every city town in America, practically. I, I have never left any town with stories like, like New Orleans, man. And especially champagne, Evelyn champagne King. That that's the top story of all time in my music career. And I love that. And thank you. And, and that, and what, and, what an unexpected soundtrack. Because if you remember, the point was when she goes, ooh, you make my love. <laughs> the point Come is, down. is that to each time I would say it, the ooh would get yeah, that was louder it. and deeper. So at like 6 o'clock, it was, ooh, you make my love. Come down. But by 9.30, it was, ooh. Yes, it has that. It has that like second. It was almost like you were harmonizing it in the key of Satan or something. Like it had another <laughs> tone. It almost sounded like three individuals singing it. Like by the end of the day, when your voice was shot, and uh, and the funniest thing about it is, you know, you and I are touring with a rock and roll band. I mean, Claude's listening to like, you know, he's listening to a lot of like, you know, it's just rock and it's and it's total. And I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but it's like, you know, total rock snobbery going on in the van, right? Like, it's it's like all the guys are listening to that guitar solo, this is the shit, and you and I are like, you know, we're flipping it. You're singing friggin' disco, and I'm like singing like, uh, like, Dokken or like Rat. I mean, I mean, like, yeah. we totally, we're, or Britney, I think you might have even had Britney Spears on for a minute or some shit. I don't even no, remember. Yeah, no, just to piss them off, and if you remember, I, I stopped with something at a record store when we went record shopping, and if you remember, I bought TLC's Ooh on the TLC tip. <laughs> That's because, an awesome album. Because, because A, it's an awesome album, and, uh, and B, also because it was a continuation of the 
ooh, you make my... And I was like, <laughs> so then, if you remember, it, the continuation was ooh on the TLC tip. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, it, we can go on and on, but it was it was just so much fun. And, and so, you know, that that's kind of, to your listeners, that's kind of like my love of New Orleans. You know, if you've never been there, go check it out. Um, at least go visit. I mean, it's a, if you like people, if you like food, if you like culture, if you like everybody... It's if, if you like the party, man, it's the greatest city in America, maybe even in the world, depending on where your mindset is. And I'm For just sure. blessed, man, to be going down there and, and, and run my business. Um, can I give a selfish, self, well, selfish well, plug? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say, well, first of all, I'm very excited and very happy. Uh, all right. Well, I, I appreciate it, um, Roy. You know, I, I, my wife and I, we run a coaching business. And so we basically coach people on their health and energy, just just you know, just getting you to retrain your mind and, and be at optimum, you know, peak state in terms of your health. So that's what we do for a living. We also work with entrepreneurs. Anybody who's interested in uh, being an entrepreneur and working for themselves, we help them build a business, show them how to get started, and, uh, and just, just remove the learning curve that I, had to, that I had to deal with for the last 20 years. Basically, my experience of uh, being an entrepreneur, taking all my mistakes and removing them so others don't have to go through what I had to go through right, for the sure. last 20, 20 years. So if you guys want to find me, you can find me on Facebook. I actually closed down my website when I was in London back in February. I'm going to be starting a new one, but most of my business, Roy, um, is word of mouth because I really choose who I want to work with. Like if you're not serious about changing your health, your for life, sure. then you know, I, I'm not going to work with you. Or if you're not really serious about becoming independent financially or building your business, then we're not going to be a good fit. But um, if you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com slash Pistol Pete Kaufman, P-I-S-T-O-L, like the gun, P-E-T-E, Pete Kaufman. But let me just tell you, Kaufman is spelled, no one spells it right except for me. So it's <laughs> K. It's K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N, K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N. There's two N's in Kaufman. And, um, and, and there'll be, there'll be links, obviously, also on, on, the, uh, you know, on the actual website that, will, that can lead you to your website as well that we'll, we'll be having up uh, as cool. well. So, uh, and, and appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you. Appreciate you. That's something else I taught you right there, right foot and coaster. Now, where else can they find me? Uh, you're on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff? I'm on Instagram at Rockin' Pistol, R-O-C-K-I-N-P-I-S-T-O-L. But to be honest, man, I'm still, like, experimenting in the Instagram. Because, dude, I don't really like taking just pictures of random shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, like, <laughs> you know. So I'm, like, you know, I don't really take pictures. But I'm on it. Like, some people, younger people are on Instagram. And uh, I only joined Instagram to have a relationship with my daughter. The irony of that, right? Isn't that funny? Uh, right, right. Um, that, that, that's bridge because she lives in London now, and 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 all that. Yeah. So, so yeah, they can find me on that too. And dude, I'm easy to find, man. If you just type in Pistol Pete Kaufman, or go through one of your links, and and dude, you know, I'll, I'll add people back. You can follow me. I'm. I really care about people, so like, I don't take it lightly when. If someone seeks me out and wants to, of course, I don't just, of course, I don't ignore you. And I mean, dude, I'm moving to New Orleans, not Hollywood. You know what I'm saying? Right, I'm, right, I right, care right. about it. You know. Well, and I can attest this to the listeners that yes, Pete and I are are you know very close and great friends. But I can attest it in a, in a, in a business standpoint. I have seen 
uh, him going, uh, suffering from barely being able to eat to building this thing to uh, a the, the heights of which have even exceeded his own expectations or even his wildest dreams. Uh, and it all has to do with your ambition and your your personality and your spirit of what has lasted, which, which has created a now 10-year friendship and, 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 uh, and, and going between you and I, but it's going to be a perfect fit uh, for the spirit of New Orleans uh, for you and Wendy, and I'm so excited for you guys. Uh, and so, Pete, I want to thank you so much for finally got you on the show, man. Uh, we're going to have to have you back because uh, what we want to do is after you guys are settled in New Orleans, uh, and everything else, and uh, and you know, we, we, we're going to do a do a, a sequel, another part about New Orleans, um, about some other aspects. Because again, we could, I could have the show, I could, I could just do it in t- a weekly show about New Orleans, and it really <laughs> well, <Daily. laughs> oh right, exactly. So after you guys are all settled in New Orleans, uh, I would love to have you back on, and 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 also have Wendy on, and kind of talk about the experiences and and. Um, and about what it's like to as as uh you know as new people coming to this amazing city, but you guys are gonna thrive there. you're both amazing people uh and uh again, like i said i am so excited for the times here always great talking to my my great friend uh Peter Kaufman again, look him up man he's a he's a really really interesting dude doing a lot of lot of lot of great work for a lot of a lot of, a lot of people a lot of good stuff there. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to mention here where you can find us and about some appearances I'm going to be making coming up. Uh, obviously, you can find us at tricky-kid.com. It's T-R-I-C-K-Y-K-I-D.com. Look for me on Twitter uh, at TrickyKid in the number two. Uh, we're on Facebook um, at Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. And, of course, it's always free to subscribe, so that's the best way. Even if you're an Android user, you can stream this episode and and everyone like it and future ones at trickykid.com and there it's pretty cool because you want to go there anyway because you'll see a lot more pictures and a lot more stories and stuff there uh but if you go to itunes and just type in tricky kid radio podcast and click the subscribe button this will show up for free every thursday um episodes like this and more we get a lot of cool stuff coming up and also a lot of cool stuff for you to check out that you might have missed a couple appearances uh, my alter ego, DJ Tricky Kid, will be uh, in on December 17th, uh, along with the great hip-hop artist Tech Force. We're going to be doing a great thing at this really cool retro arcade uh, between Dallas and Fort Worth in a, a town called Bedford, Texas. The place is called the Quarter Lounge Arcade. Super cool, super legit. Uh, it's the real deal, man. If you're ever in town, go to the Quarter Lounge uh, and look it up on Facebook and look them up as well. Uh, it's a great, great, great place. Um, obviously, of course, uh, my wrestling persona uh, with the IHWE uh, going to be returning back in February uh, the 17th for a great event called Meteor Knockout. Uh, go and look up IHWE. Go ahead and get tickets now, as a matter of fact. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of great uh, appearances. Uh, Maricos, uh, Holy Gregory James, Wago Del Sol, Ali Katz going to make her IHWE debut. Very excited about that. So, And obviously, we want to keep our lights on here. So when you go to TrickyKid.com to, to, to read some more stories and see some more great pictures and everything else about everything about uh, this episode and more, click on the Office Furniture to Go link. 
uh, that uh, gives us a couple of kickbacks uh, there and a couple of save a couple couple of bucks there. It'll save you some money, and uh, and we get a great percentage. So uh, when you go there with the holidays coming up, they have a lot of great stuff. Check out Office Furniture to go. Uh, coming up next is something I really want uh, to to stress and to illustrate is the relief effort that is desperately needed in the state of Louisiana, uh, not just in New Orleans, but all over Louisiana. I had the great, great pleasure of speaking with, uh, with Shanna Forrestal, like I was mentioning earlier, and she's got this great program uh, that she's doing along with uh, with uh, Robert Gaudet uh, from Gaudet Media. And uh, it's just an amazing thing. Her her spirit, her just ambition for helping people. She's a lifelong humanitarian. Um, it will inspire you. It's infectious. And again, it's something that has been grossly uh, overlooked. And so I find this as a human being to be completely unacceptable. Uh, and she does too. So I'm very, very, very proud uh, that we're here. We've partnered uh, to be part of the uh, the Cajun relief effort. So again, uh, with I, I love I love for you to hear it directly from Shanna. So let's get her on the phone. Uh, from LA Film Resources, uh, she's actually a Louisiana native, uh, and she's an established marketing and social media consultant. And what what she's doing is this amazing program. Uh, to raise awareness to uh, a lot of the flood victims in her native state of Louisiana. So, Shanna, welcome to Trippy Kid Radio. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So, Shanna, talk a little bit about what's, what your program is. Okay. Well, we've launched a program uh, after the flood. Everything happened. You know, all of these wonderful nonprofits have stepped up to help. And I've been working with Rob Godet of Cajun Relief and of the Cajun Navy. He's actually the guy who coordinated all of those rescues. We've been working together, and we were brainstorming, you know, how do we help all these nonprofits move their campaigns forward? And what we decided to do was to launch a collaborative campaign. We're calling it Cajun Santa Christmas. Nice. <laughs> and we thought that was, yeah, we thought that was kind of a fun way to encourage people to play Cajun Santa, to find a way to help a family or an individual in Louisiana, and we're giving them one place to go and find a way to do that, to connect to all of these different campaigns. Fantastic. I love the Cajun Santa because, again, it, it's very indicative of, of, the, of the culture. It's fun. Right. And like said, it also can kind of inspire people. And, and, and you're, you said your partner, Rob uh, uh, Godet. He's Rob Godet from Godet. Yeah, he's with He was over the Cajun Navy. He coordinated all of those rescues. He's an amazing guy. And we just, we've just we been collaborating just on how we can help the community better. We're, I'm working with Launch Louisiana. He's working with uh, Cajun Relief. And we're just talking, and we were like, how do we how do we make this, you know, accessible to people who want to help? You know, people don't really understand how big this tragedy was. You know, the thousand-year flood event, over 7 trillion gallons of water fell in 48 hours. And that's why the flooding was so severe. It wasn't something that happens all the time, and many of the areas that flooded were not flood zones. These people didn't even have flood insurance. That's so these families have been devastated. We have 160,000 families devastated and they're displaced for the holidays yes. and they're yeah. you know many of them have lost all of their possessions some of them their vehicles as well their homes their jobs their companies their schools i mean i'm their working with families who uh, yeah. their complete lives right yeah. are gone and it's been it's been devastating watching i've actually flown down every two to three weeks to come in the community to deliver supplies to meet with families one-on-one and to see firsthand what's happening 
And there's a traumatic situation down there that's not being dealt with. So we just thought, you know, there are people that are trying to help. There are a lot of Louisiana nonprofits that are credible, and they've got wonderful campaigns available. And so we just thought, let's put this all in one place and push it out nationally and say, hey, world, anybody out there who wants to help, we've got a great way for you to do that. And, you know, it could be as small as $5, you know, to sponsor a coat for a Cajun. You know, there are so many different programs involved in the Cajun banner. People can just choose whatever they connect to. Well, first of all, bless you for, for making that, that community. I know that you're in L.A. and going out there every, every couple of weeks. And awesome yeah. that Rob is actually right there in Baton Rouge. Love his yeah. his very Louisiana last name as well. Uh, yeah. Very authentic. He's a there. wonderful guy, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a wonderful you know, guy, and they've been doing fantastic work. <clears throat> have you, Shetta, have you found, um, again, you know, it's, it's unfortunate with how just – there's been so much loss everywhere yeah. uh, this year. It's been a very sad year. Uh, mm-hmm. and with the political climate has has made everybody almost, I know personally crazy, and 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 like most people, just kind of just feeling just kind of emotionally displaced. Uh, and so I, right. I love I love this because, again, you know, there's been so much loss. You know, we've lost a lot of our beloved entertainers this year. We uh, right. it just it seems to be just this whole thing, and so. I'm. I was concerned that people have grown complacent to tragedy, have grown uh, indifferent, almost like like it's the new normal and accepting of it. And so, for what you what you guys are doing is saying this is not normal. And then I think also Louisiana might even get even the shorter end of that stick because they seem to be the ones that seem to be in the most constant need. I mean, people still have never really. Recovered from Katrina in terms of their minds of of how they envision Louisiana. You know what I mean? Like people who've never never Mm -hmm. been there uh, still kind of envision it. And so I was concerned that it might be a thing of like, oh, another tragedy. Yes, right. There was was another tragedy. There was a giant storm over this year, and then now this flood. Uh, and, uh, you know, our good friend, John Schneider, uh, has a, has a, a studio down there and it was, you know, flooded twice. Yeah. I personally also have family there in the Gulf Coast. Uh, and so, uh, for, for us, we wanted to do something, you know, first for the year to, to kind of raise some awareness about, um, you know, what had happened to, to John's studio and, and, and our friends and, and the community. And, and again, and it's a lot of that just kind of got swept um, because of these more sensationalistic things. So this is the stuff that needs to be out in right. the news. This is what needs to happen. So tell our You're listeners. You're exactly right. And thank you. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm leading up to saying that bless you for this, because this is this is what needs to be happening. You and Rob together um, putting your efforts uh, into something like this as compared to spending your time on something uh, again, it's I know it's very irresistible. It seems for a lot of people uh, in today's uh, you know social media climate. But this is this is what I I, I want to see. This is what I want to be be a part of. And I'm I'm, I'm grateful to the both of you uh, for. Well, Roy, uh, I have to say, you know, it's it's been such a traumatic event. And I you know I've worked humanitarian aid all over the world in my lifetime. But to to work at home, you know, during Hurricane Katrina, I worked in the New Orleans area for two years after the storm. I, I know what happens in a community when devastation comes. Right. And recovery does not happen overnight. You know, people right. think, well, it's been a couple months. Aren't these people back on their feet? No, that's right. they're not. That's because right. the average FEMA payout is around $10,000, and that's if they get it. That's not going to rebuild your home. That, you know, right. and, and I'm, I'm, literally, I'm literally seeing families when I come back living in tents 
next to their houses trying to rebuild. They are waiting on supplies. They're waiting on contractors. It is a serious problem. These people have not only been displaced, but they've lost everything. And many of them are living in third-world country conditions next yeah. to their homes trying to get a semblance of, of their reality back. And, you know, you don't really know what that feels like as you stand next to them and you hug them and you look them in the eyes. And when you do that, why well, you can't not help when you right. see it, when you touch it, when you smell it. When you see what's been happening in these neighborhoods, you can't not help. And you're right, our country's been in a dark space, but I trust in the humanity of our nation. And I think that if we can just remind ourselves of who we are and of the love in our hearts and the kind of people that we really are, we need to get back to that. And what a yes. holiday season is a great time to do that. And it's a great time to get the focus off of ourselves and our own fears about our nation or our own fears about what's been going on and say, you know what, let me put that focus on someone else. Let me show some love, and it'll do good for them, and it'll do good for me. And that's what we're encouraging people to do this Christmas. Just play Cajun Santa. That's <laughs> and right. And help somebody else. Help somebody and else I, and, and I, help I, yourself. That's right, and I think that's the, and that that's that in itself is 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 a healing, you know. It, it, that that yes. itself is, yes. is currency uh, for somebody Absolutely. like me. For somebody like me, my background is is of course in the music industry, and so I've done a lot of touring. And like what you had mentioned mm-hmm. about how this doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I we were down there uh, in 2007, so I guess that would be about three years after Katrina, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. We went all the way down to as far as the cab driver would drop us off. We walked all the way down to the ninth ward, all the way down to where the levee broke, and there were still cars and trees there. Uh, do, right. you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. three years after the fact. And then, uh, you know, I grew up in Texas, and so a lot of the displacement, uh, of course, you know, yeah. um, went went to you know uh, to Texas and Dallas for whatever. So I I too have have met these people. I too have yeah. have yeah. have, You've have seen, it. seen it. You know, face to face, and mm-hmm. uh, and again, and, and like, like you were saying, and this is what I uh, I think is is your biggest message here that I, that I love so much is again, is it is it this is the real healing. Here's how you can get involved. Here's something that'll take your mind off of it. This is going to make you feel better by helping people, and also realizing like, wait a minute, what what are we getting? Like, we think we have problems. These people have problems. I mean, this right. is this is real. Put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. Right, right, exactly. I mean, we all we all have things that are are unique to our our own lives, uh, but let's stop and take a look at something here and 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 see that. And not to mention, we all have pride in where and where we live and everything else. But mm-hmm. there's something very special about the people of Louisiana, especially in, in and around New Orleans. And to have to, you know, people in New Orleans, uh, you know, having to leave their, you know, nobody wants to leave their home, but. Uh, uh, I just I, I want these people that have been affected so greatly and so immediately um, to be able to uh, you know to re- to receive the help that they, they they so greatly deserve and need, and it's people like like you and Rob uh, that are making that happen. So please tell our listeners how they can get involved. Where can they find you online? Okay. What, what can they it's do? It's very simple. They can go to CajunSantaChristmas.com. And there are a variety of ways that they can help. They can just skim through all the different programs. They they can donate as little as five dollars. They can donate as much as five hundred. They can help buy coats for families that don't have any winter clothing right now. They can help buy sheetrock for families that need walls to get back into their homes. There are so many different ways to help. There's even a, a company called Alita Designs, a designer from LA who said anybody that uses the promo code on her site, she's going to give 15% of all sales to Louisiana Floods for the whole season. Fantastic. You can do Christmas shopping. 
You can do yeah. Christmas shopping and help people in Louisiana, which is fantastic. You know, and that's one thing I have to say is that, you know, in the midst of tragedy, you see love. And, yeah. and that has been one redeeming thing is I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed that tell me, I ask them about their stories. And then we, you know, then we talk about what is your hope for Louisiana or what are you grateful for? And they all just say the love that I've seen, the love that I've seen, the generosity after this has been amazing. So it gives us hope as a nation, as a people, as a state. Um, and, and I just would encourage everyone who's hearing this to just do what you can. Even if it's a little bit, do what you can. And it's CajunSantaChristmas.com. There you go, right there. And, again, that, that's also that, you know, uh, as a Louisiana native uh, that you are, uh, you know, yeah. you you grew up in, in, a, in, a, in a culture uh, where, you know, where people people come together. That's part of that yeah. Louisiana and New Orleans. And, and, again, like I said, that's not just, uh, you know, it, just, you know, exclusive to Louisiana. That's I want. I love that we're you know spreading this uh, you know all over. And but for you, um, you know, getting involved with this uh, this program and starting this um, is is something that is to be nothing so commended. I, I, you also, I wanted to mention too, you uh, created and curate the Louisiana uh, Flood Forward Facebook group. Is that also correct? Okay. Yes, uh, yes, it's a it's a public group. Anybody can join, and we share only positive stories of renewal and recovery from the storm. I just felt like, like you said, look, going into this, I uh, started helping in August as soon as the flooding was uh, happening, and uh, I started thinking, you know, if we don't have a bright point to focus on, we might get lost in darkness. And so we started this page, and we put only positive stories people that are doing wonderful things for each other, people that have things to celebrate. And it just, I wanted people going through this and people on the outside to have a place to look where they didn't have to hear about what was going wrong, but they could actually get on a page that was just good news. And yeah. I can't tell you how many people that are living through this tragedy that have said, oh, it's so good for me to have a safe space to just go and read good stories because some days I'm having a bad day and I just need to hear good news, you know. So, yeah, yeah we have that sure. site, and it's been really fun. It's called Louisiana Flood Forward. Anybody can send us a request to join the public Facebook page with just positive stories, and it's on Facebook. And it can be a great lifeline uh, uh, yes. you know, to, to, to those people that need it. And anybody, I mean, we all love good news. And, uh, and yes. God, we all all could use some right now for sure. Uh, Shanna, thank you so much for joining us this thank week. Thank you. Again, uh, Cajun Santa, get involved. Uh, we will have links uh, to all of this on the site uh, at tricky-kid.com. That's T-R-I-C-K-Y-K-I-D.com. Uh, uh, again, uh, Cajun Santa, the Louisiana Flood Board Facebook group. Uh, you'll be able to see all of this uh, and more. But get involved this Christmas uh, to help some people that really, really need it. Uh, again, Shanna, uh, Merry Christmas to you. I, uh, I thank, thank you so you. much. You I thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, and together, and people like you and Rob and, and all of this collective effort, we really can make a difference this Christmas. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shanna. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Great, great talk there with Shanna Forstall. So grateful that I got a chance to, to meet her uh, and partner up to get this thing done, man. Uh, she's an amazing, amazing individual doing some great, great work there, uh, along with also with uh, her, her partner, uh, Rob Gaday from Gaday Media, uh, spearheading the Cajun Christmas uh, again, if you were to stream this from our website, uh, all the links uh, to their efforts are there. You can click on them. You can look them up individually. Uh, 
And also look up Shanna. She's an awesome, awesome person doing a lot of great work. Uh, again, please get involved if you can uh, immediately. Uh, this holiday season, there's some people out there that are really hurting that we really need us this year. Uh, okay, and so now, uh, speaking of the continue the tradition of, uh, of the Spirit of New Orleans, uh, I'm going to bring you the song of the week, which is actually, I was thinking about what I wanted to do, and, uh, and when I think of New Orleans, I know I should think of Louis Armstrong and, and things like that, but uh, I actually think of this one Red Hot Chili Pepper song uh, called Apache Rose Peacock, where he's sitting on a sack of beans down in New Orleans. So I'm going to play that one, and then I'm going to bring you Laura Cayouette, uh, the awesome, awesome, uh, amazingly talented actress uh, and very prolific writer who is New Orleans personified, man. So check out this tune, and we'll be right back with Laura Cayouette. Got a rock and peacock up. Hottest dance on the goddamn block. 
guest this week, Laura Cayuet. Laura, welcome to Tricky Kid Radio. Well, hello. So uh, you have written a fantastic book uh, called The Secret of the Other Mother that I just finished reading, uh, set in New Orleans, which is where you currently are, correct? Yes. Now, you have a bit of a, of a love affair with the city of New Orleans. Let's talk about that first. I do. I have a crazy love affair. <laughs> <laughs> I am unreasonably in love with my city. I moved here in uh, 2009, and, you know, they say timing is everything, and I moved here when the Saints were on their way to the Super Bowl, and the city just couldn't have been in a better mood. Oh, great. Yeah, it was very festive. Um, You know, people were, people here every Sunday still, whether we're winning or losing or whatever, people every Sunday are always wearing their black and gold during football season, but it was a fever pitch. It was just... Well, you know, it's funny you said it because also, you know, the New Orleans Saints and the Super Bowl, without giving away too many spoilers here, plays a very significant role in this book. Well, it does as a backdrop. You know, um, the the book is the first in a series of five, uh, and I've already started the second book, which starts during... Uh, It starts on Super Sunday, which is um, St. Joseph's Day, and it's the day that the Mardi Gras Indians parade, Um, and it ends uh, after Jazz Fest. The one that you've read starts when the Saints are 13-0 and and ends on Mardi Gras Day just after they've won the Super Bowl. And so all these backdrop time zones, timelines – I wanted to choose carefully, you know, times that would allow a window into uh, the city and its culture and and the impact of the events on the regular people. Well, also, you know, it's almost like if you were going to write a book that's set uh, in New Orleans, because New Orleans is basically a character in this book, um, (laughs) uh, which is great. And you can tell by – I love your your passion and your enthusiasm – 
uh, for it, and, and not even as an outsider. I mean, you are a New Orleans native. In fact, you were uh, you were even married uh, a few uh, a few years ago. Oh, I had New such Orleans. a wonderful wedding here. <laughs> um, but but native, no. I'm a I'm a resident and a local, but I can't claim native because I was born in D.C. My parents met at LSU, but uh, they moved before I was even conceived. So I was born in D.C and raised in a Louisiana household in the Maryland area. So uh, <laughs> so I I hadn't I can't claim native because I okay. didn't, I wasn't born here, but I would okay. have to say that all but that um ties me to this place and I always knew that I would come home and uh in 2009 it just became perfect timing for me to finally come home. And so if you walked into your your family's home in Maryland during those years, you were basically in New Orleans, though, right? Once you once you pass through the threshold, oh, I would have to say Louisiana more than New Orleans because right. um, New Orleans has its own unique culture and its own uh, foods and music and um, personality in in and of itself. The state of Louisiana uh, is a conglomeration of lots of different types of people. I imagine, like many states are, sure. Um, yeah, and so and and you know the recent election bears these things out. Um, the cities are very different than the states as far as the electorate goes, but also just as far as culture goes and all that. And I would say I was raised with, um, you know, a Louisianan sensibility in so far as um, I was raised to believe in in sustainability, living off the land, sure, uh, community. Sure. Um, and these are values that are not just New Orleanian values. These are values that are part of our state's culture. For sure. But, I mean, but at the same time, while reading this book, this it, the perspective it was written from with somebody that this this whole ideology – and I'm glad that you, that you separated New Orleans from Louisiana, not as a separatist ideal – but more the idea that there is a difference. I mean, the New Orleans is very is very unique, not only to uh, you know United States. It's also very unique to Louisiana. While yet at the same time, it kind of is it's kind of the culmination of all of all things that that Louisiana has to offer. But I think the soul. I, uh, to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think no, no. you know when you think of the human body, like if you think of our country as a body, or you think of the state as a body, or whatever. When I think of of any of the soul of a nation as a body or the soul of a state as a body or what um a soul is actually not a body part <laughs> right right and yet right. i'd have to say new orleans <laughs> is the soul of not just our state but of the nation i think that we learned that the hard way um during a storm a few years ago so sure, i think sure. that this this place has soul and is soul and it is a thing that coexists with the body and beats in the heart of the body but is not the same thing as just being a, a body. There's something special about New Orleans that if you haven't been here, or if you've been here and all you did was go drink on our streets and then leave, then, right, right. then I don't know if you could see it that way. But there is something very special about this place and something that um, should be valued. And I well, was hoping to put that in the book. Well, I think you, you thoroughly achieved that, and I'll tell you why, if, if I may share something with you, is it. For me, just like maybe just like you in New Orleans, I mean in, in Maryland, but you also had, uh, you know, you said you had your parents were, um, uh, you know, more 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 influential in that. But I just by hearing the intoxication of the city of uh, of you know all it has <laughs> to offer, all of its foods and 
music and culture. And, and so I grew up in Texas, which is not that far, of course, from Louisiana, neighboring states. And I always had, you know, I couldn't wait to get to New Orleans to kind of get some of that <laughs> on me. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, yes. you know, uh, <laughs> not the Bourbon Street uh, tourism kind of drunken, uh, you know, mayhem, but just I wanted to, like, my favorite food is crawfish. And I love, you know, I heard <laughs> to feel about New Orleans. And when I was reading your book, it echoed that feeling. I mean, it really kind of put into print what I felt on that trip. Well, that's interesting because, you know, um, Charlotte Reed's character in this book, she is somebody who, you know, she wouldn't consider herself a tourist. She's been going there her whole life. Right. But she, uh, and so she has a lot of insight into, you know, what is it to be a local, uh, you know, what is the culture. That said, you know, her first instincts are to go to Bourbon Street and all that too, and she has plenty of memories there from growing up and dancing and all that stuff. And so, you know, I think that um, that the book offers an insider-outsider perspective, and so I'm glad that happened for you. <laughs> for, for, for sure, and that's that's kind of what the comparison I was trying to make is that is that it's you know you know like okay like I have spent the last ten years in Brooklyn, so uh, you know people kind of have a bit of a thing of like you know when people come to visit they want to go do the touristy stuff and and. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have a bit of a, you know, people who live here actually have a bit of a negative opinion about it. I'm not one of those people, and it's probably because I didn't grow up here. So I, I, I understand the excitement of when, you know, my sister and her friends come up here and they want to go to Times Square. I'm, I'm happy right. to accommodate them. Uh, and so I, I love the duality of Charlotte, uh, whereas, again, like I said, she was a native, but she still, you know, doesn't dismiss uh, you know the importance of those experiences, and I, and I and I love the way you were able to kind of tie that into like a mystery. You know what I mean? Like I really, really, well, really enjoyed that. I'm glad about that too, because you know the mystery part is the part that took the. I I've been writing about New Orleans for seven years. I have a blog called La Tanola that um, I've been basically writing a seven year love letter to my city, <laughs> and it has videos and photos and you know events and whatever. But um, I had actually been told, gosh, like probably 10 10 years ago or more by Quentin Tarantino that I should write a series of mysteries. And I didn't know what that – I didn't have a story to tell. You know, I didn't have a mystery. And I didn't have – I wrote some notes when he told me that because, of course, he told me to do it. And why wouldn't you do that? Like, look into it. So. So I wrote some notes back then and put them all in a box when I moved here and kept them in a box and didn't open it. And I had finished another novel called Lemonade Farm, and I was at a Q&A, and somebody asked me what's next. And so I went home and really thought about that, and, and it hit me, wait, wait, what about those mysteries that Quentin want me to write? So I opened the book, and it turned out I had set the mysteries in New Orleans and I had and this is 10 years ago when I was living in LA and I, you know sure. and so all the notes I had written at that time were set here and I thought well shoot then why am I not looking at this now and that's what took me on that journey of oh I do now have mysteries to tell and this is the place to tell them and so that I was off to the races but um you know for me one of the most fun parts of being able to set it in that time was that I also got to tie it into football culture, which is such a big part of our culture here. For but sure. also something that's an American culture, you know? Oh, and that's, there's a duality of that. It's also that, that it's its own thing, but it also it lends itself, like you're saying, to the bigger picture. Just like, yeah. 
kind of like you know the duality of 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 like sort of New Orleans and Louisiana. So that's I thought it was masterful. And and what a and what a great uh, you're welcome and, and and what a great way to for you as well to like you said you didn't really quite maybe have like a mis- uh, like a mystery but wow what a what a muse you have in in, in a, because it's not something that you know I guess any any writer teacher would uh, you know would, would tell you you know what I want write what you know write what you love right. because in it and you love New Orleans I mean even I mean the cover of the book's got the New Orleans Saints uh, you know that that new you know it's uh it's so cool. I I I thought the whole vibe was cool. Uh, oh, and thank really, really, you. Now you mentioned about Quentin uh, inspiring you. Now you uh, actually worked on a couple of projects with Quentin. Uh, you uh, up played, to four now, actually. Oh, up to four now. Okay, because I, I know yeah. that you played you you were Rocket in Kill Bill. I was. Two. <laughs> I was. And um, after that, uh, he produced a movie called Daltrey Calhoun that I had a part in as an okay. actor. And then after that. We pre- we produced a movie together that I had a part in called Hellride, uh, that was a biker movie, and it starred Dennis Hopper and David Carradine and Eric Balfour and Michael Madsen and was a you know did, did really Hellride, extraordinary experience. Right, and, sure. Did, uh, did, did Hellride uh, screen at Sundance? It did. Okay, okay, because I, I I remember when I was I was at Sundance that year and How were you <laughs> and I was. Uh, I, and I wanted to see that movie, and it was. Uh, it, I think you guys only screened it twice. It was the premiere. Well, it was very sold out. Yeah, and I yeah, and I could not get in. Uh, it was it was it was conflicted. The first one uh, there was one screen that was conflicted, and another one I just simply couldn't get in. And so I tried to see Hellride, but I never actually got to do it. But well, I was it's there. easy to see now. You can get it on whatever. <laughs> but I'm glad that you said that because because it's always one of those things where I have that master list of things I want to revisit. So I'm actually writing Hellride down right now. That actually might be, <laughs> be, be screened later this evening, actually. And then, of course, you were in uh, – uh, Django Unchained. Django Unchained. <laughs> So, so what what is? I mean, everybody has their own take on the Tarantino experience. I would love to hear a little bit from you about that. Well, I'll tell you. You know, I've worked with some of the greatest directors living and now, unfortunately, dead as well with Tony Scott. Um, right. That you know, I've been so privileged, and so I've learned a lot about what makes great directing. And and I actually am right now finishing up teaching a course, a graduate. Uh, course on uh, teaching directors how to work with actors. Um, so I, I have paid a lot of attention to the directors in my career because I've been so blessed. And the thing that separates Quentin from all the other directors I've had is that his enthusiasm and passion and love for all things movies and all things TV and all things pop culture and all is infectious and he has this I wouldn't call it a trick it's uh he has this <laughs> gift he gives us that when <laughs> we're on <laughs> when we're on a set and it's you know the days are long and you're doing the same darn thing you've done all day and you know you're going to do take 37 of this one angle of the same darn thing we've done all day and people are exhausted with it and don't we have it already kind of feeling right um you know, he would see that and say, okay, we're going to do it one more time. Why? And everybody would have to stop what they were doing and say, because we love making movies. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't care what mood you were in when that 
started, that one phrase started, by the end of saying that out loud together as a group, you really were back there in it again. You were right, like, right, I do love me. I could be at a gas station right now pumping gas. I am here making a movie with Quentin Tarantino. What am I tired for? Well, sure. <laughs> and that yeah. sobering, I mean, that sobering thing kind of like or that, that you know, that that blissful reality in that moment kind of lets you uh, put aside any fatigue you might have been feeling, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, and it and it really does. And, that, and look, we had crazy, crazy hours on that movie. And, you know, it was not uncommon to have 20-hour days. And so you have to find it in yourself, and it can be hard. And the fact that Quentin has so much in himself that he has leftovers to inspire two to 400 people a day, that's remarkable. That's just remarkable. Sure. For and sure. it's inspirational, and it makes you want to be – I, you know, every time I work with Quentin, I just – well, everybody, but especially with Quentin, I just strive to rise to the opportunity that he has afforded to me to be part of something amazing. Well, you know, and you have been, 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 been quite blessed, I mean, but also to your own testament. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a reason why you, you know, uh, you know, or find yourself a, you know, part of these casts. I mean, you're you're a great actress. Obviously, you're a hard worker. You're uh, incredibly imaginative and creative in your writing. So, uh, what you're able to, you know, translate to that also on screen. So, Golly, I'm can... going to start calling you every day. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> well, I, I I mean that, and and and, but so it's, it's not just you know the. I mean, you can say, of course, blessed. At the same time, you know, you put in the miles, and so. Oh, I did. I worked my butt off. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I can, I, I can, I know that from, uh, you know, all the, all the, all the projects you've been a part of. So, you know, one doesn't necessarily find, just happen to find themselves working with so many different talented directors. And so, I wanted to ask you, out of all the projects that you've worked with, what do you think was probably the most unique that you walked away from, feeling the most changed from? Oh, golly, that's a, the wording of that. I thought I was going to know what I was going to say until you the most changed from. I actually, I, I would have to say the first thing that came to mind when you finished that sentence was actually a, a, a darker thing that happened, which um, I did a movie called Dark Places the, uh, with Charlize Theron uh, producing and starring. And I, up until playing that part, I had always been able to walk away from every character I've ever played. I've always been able to explore fully who someone is and how someone is and embody that and then just walk away. And when I did Dark Places, there was something that was changed. I, I had a problem letting that character, like washing her off of me. She she upset me so much, so profoundly playing this person just so rocked me that um, I really had a difficult time processing walking a mile in her shoes. And she was just an average suburban housewife who, you know, she just let hate and fear drive her, and it scared me to walk a mile in her shoes. Right, right. Now, when you were when you say you were wanting to kind of purge, uh, talk about purging it, was it something that you couldn't let go because you didn't want to, or was it something oh, no. you were eager? <laughs> I would have happily showered her off, but no, I just it was a window into a very common way of thinking. It was, I guess that was what was so hard is that it wasn't imaginary. I wasn't playing a zombie or a 
you know, somebody who died in the 1800s or, you know, I wasn't playing something distant and far away. I was playing your next door neighbor. I was playing, yeah, I was just playing any average person who gets confused about what it means to be part of a community and gets confused about what it means to be a good parent and gets confused about what it means to be a good Christian and all those things. Do you think that there's some of that that's crept into to, to the secret of the other mother? Because I, I see almost a, a little bit of of uh, you not maybe successfully <laughs> letting that character go. Because when you talk about you know kind of leading with the hate and, uh, and fear, or but but in a very kind of like I said, almost a, a simplistic um, kind of suburbanite kind of way, uh, you know, without giving away too many spoilers, you know, there's there's a little bit. Would you say there's a little bit of that in in, in this book as well with with some of the characters? Well, who is it that you're thinking of? And I'll tell you. <laughs> well, again, I, I, did, I didn't want to. I didn't want to, you know, give away uh, too much. Um, but you know, I was yeah. thinking about. Yeah, well, yeah, I was thinking about Taffy and 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 uh, you know a few of the other uh, characters that, that are in here that that kind of seem like that they could have that they could have been inspired from that experience. Well, I don't know. It might be that you and I would have had to have that conversation over coffee instead of over the radio. Probably. I agree with that. And I, and I would, and so I would, we don't I, I wreck would anything like for anybody yeah. else. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, with um, with Taffy and Chiffon, the twins, um, you know, I think most of what I wanted to look at with them was I, I mostly wanted to just put you in their living room. I mostly wanted you to experience them, you know, as, as real folks. But um, – but yeah, there's a there's a um, life story that they have that's uncommon. Very. That leaves people with holes in their uh, story. You know, there are holes in their story of who they are and how they've come to be. And so there, I am totally willing to say this: this mystery is about a search for a birth mother. And uh, you know, I don't. I. It's not a murder mystery. It's, you know, this is a trying to find who you are and how you've come to be who you are through unanswered questions in your heritage and in your past. And this has to do not just with Taffy and Chiffon, the twins that she's, that Charlotte is helping find their birth mother. Right. But Charlotte actually starts on this own path uh, within her own family, is that she starts to uncover secrets within her own family and that will take the whole five-book series to continue uncovering. And she will, by the end of the whole five-book series, come to know her own family secrets in a new way and understand much more clearly who she is and how she's come to be the way she is. So, um, you know, I think that's a recurring theme throughout the entire book series is your connection to your heritage, your connection to your uh, family and your own history, your personal history. But I, I, but I love... Both known and unknown. For sure, and I, and I love. Ex- I was loving experiencing her. Her or that. I should say they confronting that. And- I would hope so. I mean, you know, because it, the book doesn't, in any way, suggest um, or conclude that finding that answer will fix your life in any way. Well, but sure, it sure. does. There is this. Um, what I hate to call it a hole. But there is this place, this empty place that seeks to be filled if you don't know who you are and where you come from. Right, right. And we can fill it with all sorts of things. We can fill it with exercise or prayer or food or whatever. But, but you know, 
I think in the case of the book, and it sounds like with your mother, at the end of the day, you you know what it is you need to know to fill that hole. You know what it is that you're really searching for isn't, you know, a high or a what. You're searching for this thing that will make you feel, this a filling of the empty place that will make you feel whole. Right, right, for sure. And and you know, and seeing the, the 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 exchanging of the experience for perspective, and like you said, and this is going to go on for many more books. So I'm very excited to see uh, uh, how the how that plays out uh, with these great characters that I've I've, I've now have come to, uh, to to love and also oh, like great. I said r- relate to. You know, I wanted to now, ask you. Go ahead. Go ahead before go ahead. we move off of that, the other thing that that we haven't really talked about that. Um, you know that the book deals with is Hollywood South and yes. and Hollywood itself, Hollywood West. <laughs> yeah. um, you know the book actually does start in L.A. on a red carpet, and then moves very quickly to New Orleans. But it actually does start in L.A. and and she, um, you know, is going to continue now that she has, you know, come this way. She's going to continue to explore her own industry. Um, both on the West Coast and in the South. And so, um, you know, that's another area that uh, a lot of people have said that they've enjoyed being able to see a peek behind the curtains. There's some things that I take very much for granted that everybody would know and that are normal for everybody that are, of course, totally absurdly not normal. Right. I think it's totally normal to know that, of course, everybody knows that a makeup trailer is just like a bar, that anybody who's been in a makeup trailer knows that that's where all the secrets are. That's where everybody tells their hair and makeup people all the secrets. And so that's like the bar with the bartender who knows every bar, you know, flies secrets. Right. So I know that, and all my friends know that, but it turns out nobody else knows that. So these things I also um, got to share of like, you know, a peek behind the curtain of an industry and a world that is fascinating to a lot of people. And, you know, that a lot of times when we look behind the curtain, we do it in a sensationalistic way. And for her, it's just her job. Right, right. Now, did you have, did you, were you finding it challenging, though, like like whenever you were writing that stuff, that you were would have written it, like you said, matter-of-factly, whereas, you know, you have to kind of, like, kind of, kind of like, I don't know, kind of let them in on it in a way that, that leads them to it. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, you can't, like, if you're going to ex- explain that experience, like as you say that you know it to be, you know, secondhand. You know, everybody knows that you know the bar, or, you know, the trailer, the whole, the whole bit. So when, but when, but how were you able to write that where it was relatable to to the people like you said that would wouldn't have any idea about that? Well, I think that's what I strive to do in all of my writing, whether it's my blog or my book on acting, No Small Parts, or whether it's my other novel. Or you know, I tr- I always try to tell the story to everyone. I want everyone who's interested in the story to be able to go on the ride. And so whether it's a blog post about a parade I attended or was in or whatever, or whether it's, you know, a, this mystery or whatever it is, I, even in a conversation, I am hoping that anybody who wants to understand the story, I've made it easy for them. Well, do you have a sounding board, though? I mean, I mean, sometimes, you know, <laughs> when, when, you're, when you're writing, do you, is there, who in your life, says, uh, you know, Laura, not everybody knows about this. Like, like, who, who is that for you? I'm to go ahead and give a shout-out. Uh, you know, in the opening of the book, I, I give thanks to the what I call the three wise men. Right. And the first of those 
is, and I just say their first names, and the first of those is a guy named Ted. Uh, Ted um, is Ted O'Brien, who works at the Garden District Bookshop, and he has he read every single chapter as I wrote it. Oh, wow. And, yeah, so it's kind of like having a live audience, um, you know, in real time, because as I'm starting the next chapter, he's reading the last chapter I've written, and, you know, it wasn't like he gave me in-depth feedback each time. That would be uh, impractical. But he was able to keep me, you know, fence posts along the way, letting me know what he responded to and what uh, was fascinating to him. And I just heard him. You know, I just listened to him. And then now since having had the book out, I've now gotten feedback from quite a few people, and several of them have said that that was uh, you know, I, I take for granted that everybody knows about behind-the-scenes Hollywood stuff because right. there's so much information about it, and, and frankly, uh, you know, we're obsessed with ourselves. We want to talk about ourselves all the time. Come see our movie about making movies, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I thought that was a, maybe a played-out topic, and that's one reason that I approached it so much is that it's her job. But uh, but it turns out that I was wrong. There's a lot of people that haven't seen, or at least haven't seen it this way, where it's very where I just put you in the middle of it. You're just going on the audition with her and feeling the anxiety she feels and dealing with the mistakes she makes in real time and and then going to a set and, okay, now we she knows where she is and what she's doing and let's follow that moment. And, you know, I've, I've tried to put you fly on the wall in that world with her so that you can be fascinated or, or right. see it as a day of work just like she's doing. Well, I trust that Ted, the the bookstore owner, is uh, has a no bullshit he's radar. Not he's a, he's not the owner. He's a he's one of the um, employees there. One of the many very knowledgeable, very helpful employees there who now have all read my book and have all said wonderful things that have really been very helpful because they read everything. And one of the things they said that meant the most to me was that um, this is the first book any of them have seen, and they've seen them all. Uh, that is a fictional account of set in this particular time, the Saints run to the Super Bowl, that there are plenty of books that, um, you know, are photo books or whatever that discuss the what the city was like during that time. But they're all nonfiction. There's no fiction set during that time except this book, which I thought was very fun. Well, you know, that is interesting. And also, you know, it's, it is unfortunate that, uh, because of you know obviously with, with with Katrina and also you know the even the storm this year, uh, there's also so much darkness that kind of surrounds. I mean there's all you know New Orleans and so uh, to be able to to kind of live in this book with a, a much happier time and a you know in a, a different oh, style yeah. of New Orleans that exists, oh, yeah. I think is a is a wonderful offering. Uh, I think it also would mean something to people, uh, you know, that live in New Orleans, like, like you said, like your, you know, like, like Ted at the, the bookstore. Like I said, I, I assume you trust has a zero bullshit radar. So he's going to give you back the, the, the real feedback there. Uh, yeah. you know, he's, he's not a, a Hollywood guy, you know? Yes, and I will also tell you that people here are very particular about how their culture is portrayed, and I say that as a they. I'm part of that. I I will come on down on you like a hammer if I think <laughs> you have misportrayed our culture. Uh, recently, Disney um, put out a gumbo recipe video that they said was uh, Tiana from Prince and the Frogs 
gumbo recipe. I don't know why they felt the need at this very late date, what is this, nine years later, to put out a gumbo recipe for that movie. But, <laughs> um, but that character, Tiana, is actually based on a real person here, Miss um, Leah Chase, who owns Dookie Chase. And Miss Leah is 92 years old and somebody who is not to be messed with. That is, right. I mean, she is precious to everyone here. Right. And and she's precious just inherently. She's a huge part of the civil rights movement and as is her restaurant. And, I mean, she has served presidents. She, you know, this is somebody you do not misquote or mess up the portrayal of. For sure. And so when they put out this gumbo recipe that didn't even start with a roux, which is just, I, I couldn't explain what that means other than to say, like, a hot dog that didn't even start with a bun. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's just, we're not, it's not even on the same page as our cuisine. By the time they got to the part of video where they were putting in kale and quinoa, <laughs> uh, the entire state, not just New Orleans, the entire state blew up the Internet. And within two hours, they had to yank the video off. Well, I mean, and, and I'm, I, there's somebody whose favorite food is Cajun food, and I'm not <laughs> from Louisiana or New Orleans. I would be completely uh, be revolting against right. <laughs> a gumbo re- recipe supposed to be in the name of a you know a national treasure right. like her, um, and to be compromised with, uh, with 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 something like that is. Uh, is worth revolting in the streets over. I would agree with right. you on that. <laughs> and I'm aware of that every time I post a blog. I'm aware that every time I post a blog, that if I haven't lovingly paid attention to the details that make us us, right. then I'm going to hear about it. I'm going to hear about it. And even to the point of, like, if I say something like Mardi Gras Day instead of just Mardi Gras, there will be some local who says to me, you know there's no such thing as Mardi Gras Day. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Mardi Gras means Fat Tuesday, so day is already in it. And so that's like saying Fat Tuesday day. Well, as I've explained to the people who have sent me those comments, yes, so for locals, we already know that. But I don't only write for locals. I write for the globe. I'm read in over 100 countries, and not everybody knows that. And so I do have to explain the difference between Mardi Gras known as Carnival or Mardi Gras known as the day. But that pressure, you would have to say, uh, to not to not to disappoint them, has has made you a better writer. Yes, well, it's made me a more cautious, uh, in a good way, not cautious like my hands are tied. Cautious, as in, um, take your time, get it right. Yes. You know, this is once it's printed, that's the book. So you know, take your time to get it right. And I guess one of the most gratifying things is to have so many people respond so positively to the portrayal of culture. In Secret of the Other Mother. Well, the authenticity uh, of of the book, like I said, is somebody that had tried to be a, a, a New Orleans expat for many years until I finally got it right. Um, I guess it mirrored my experience in terms of of how how it made me feel whenever I was there. I felt it while I was reading it. So if that was your goal, I can tell you from at least from one reader, you succeeded. Oh, well, thank you. Well, and, and my hope is that, you know, as she continues to immerse herself in the culture throughout each of the books, that the readers will get to go on that ride and be further immersed in the culture of our city as well. Absolutely. And I wanted to mention, like I said, you know, I, I love that it has that, that, that positive, uh, you know, experience. Like I said, you know, the local sports team is going to the Super Bowl. It's party <laughs> gras. It's festive. You know, it's, it it's wonderful. It was so exciting. <laughs> 
Because there's so much else, you know, uh, you know, around it. You know, you know, a lot of people still equate New Orleans again, you know, with Katrina, and of course they, or we're like a lot of places. You only know by what you see is reported in the news, and then right. a lot of times what happens with New Orleans. I, I wanted to mention one thing, uh, if, if I could, was that um, I know that you work with um, uh, with John Schneider. We had John Schneider on the show earlier this year. He's a great, obviously a great guy, and. Somebody that we've come to to know, and as, he and I have done four movies together, right? And and that's why I wanted I wanted to mention that was that, uh, that there's that connection, and John's become a a good friend friend to us. And uh, there was obviously a big storm that happened earlier this oh. year that decimated uh, his studio, unfortunately. I there. do want to correct you. There was actually no storm. Um, well, so if you have right. rain where you live, it could happen to you because it was just rain. It was just rain. There was no storm. So, uh, he's been flooded twice this year, and the first time was a storm. But the second time, this one recently where, a, a, what, a third of our state was flooded, right. that was just rain. It, there was no storm. There was no – Well, I was referring to the first time, of course, because okay, uh, yeah. there was a storm. And then and then, and then he, he got, they doubled down on him uh, with right. flood uh, later on. And uh, as part of this episode, we're actually there's actually a organization uh, called Cajun Santa that I wanted to mention just very briefly. Uh, that is uh, a great relief effort down there. That uh, we'll be uh, speaking with them as well um, as part of this episode as well to kind of raise great. awareness for the relief effort uh, down there in New Orleans and, and all over Louisiana. Actually, um, now one more thing I wanted I wanted to ask you. We were talking about different acting projects. Is that I would also have to I would be remiss if I didn't. Uh, ask you about the true detective experience oh <laughs> well what would you like to know everything no. <laughs> <laughs> well i'll tell you for me one of the fun things was getting to work with woody harrelson again you're noticing a theme i get to work with a lot of same people over and over again for sure um but yes woody harrelson and i had done uh now you see me and we had shot uh oh, that's, the right, scene. that's right yes that's right. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. So I had actually, I was supposed to play a different part in that movie, and I couldn't do it. I had to turn it down because I was doing Django at the same time, and so I wasn't able to make it work scheduling wise. They were going to need me for three weeks, and I was already booked for five months. So they called me back and said, "Well, what if we could shoot you in a day?" And I said, "Well, if you guys can work it out, that I." I'm working on my day off, then yes. Um, so I went ahead and took this job working for one day, and I was so excited because we shot at Café du Monde, which any tourist knows Café du Monde. Of course, of course. And But, but Café du Monde is also a place where locals go. I mean, that's, you know, we have not sacrificed that just to the tourists. That's, we still eat beignets there, as have our parents, grandparents, and grandparents, grandparents, and you know, so that is that was for my family and I a big thrill that I got to be immortalized at uh, Café du Monde. So when I showed up on the set of True Detective um, in my shower cap and sandwich board <laughs> apron, and, you know, <laughs> looking looking about as glamorous as a I don't know, well, not not uh, not, not glamorous. <laughs> the opposite, the opposite um, of uh, glam repellent, we'll call it. <laughs> yes. And by then, Woody had not only seen Now You See Me, but he'd also seen uh, that I had done Django, and he was really excited for me. So that was probably the most fun part of the 
experience for me was getting to work with Woody again after he and I had not only worked together and had an experience of, you know, each other's work ethic, but also by then he had gotten to see some of my work that, you know, gave him a sense of who I am as an actor. So we really enjoyed working together on True Detective, and I would work again with him a million times. He's a he's a blast. Well, um, well I, I had I had to I wanted to tie it together because of course you know that season was set in Louisiana. Yeah, you see, it was. And, and so to have a again, uh, you know, I somebody who is you know who lives for New Orleans to be uh, a part of that, like you said, it had to be very rewarding for you to be able to do something that was set. You know, high profile that was set, you know, in that in that setting that you could lend so much of yourself to, you know. It was, and it was equally so when when I did Treme, also on HBO, because Treme, um, you know, was set in the Treme and all throughout New Orleans, and I recurred on that as David Morse's uh, ex-wife, and yeah, it's very gratifying to be part of something that is not just filmed locally, but is actually set locally. That is a different experience and um and yeah it it was for me a high in my career because uh i have played lots of different types of people but um i i had as a goal for myself that i would one day be able to out buy you the bayou people here and get <laughs> a part yeah which is really you know just a ridiculous pipe dream that i would ever be able to out local a local sure and so that was that was a big goal for me was that I be able to snatch a part out of a local's hands by playing a local. And and that character, you know, she's such a bayou woman. She's sorting crawfish, you know, like this is right. not yeah. this is not your normal day unless you live here. And so when I got the call that said it was down to me and one other woman who was born and raised on the water here, uh, I thought, well, that's nice that I made it that far, but of course I won't. I wouldn't pick me. I'd pick her. You know, she's she's really the person. And and so when they picked me, I just couldn't have been more thrilled because it it for me, you know, said I had finally come to understand the culture and the people well enough to. Um, well, yeah, that's I mean, that's validation that. right there, man. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, they picked you over like the you know somebody that's actually doing this at a mom and pop type of yes, you know. Kind of thing there, and I mean, and come on, even your last name sounds like like would be my favorite brand of like hot sauce that I would put on. <laughs> like, you know, I, I gotta have that Cayuette seasoning, or I'm not gonna be satisfied. You know, I'm not gonna be satisfied. It's a, it's, well, it's a spoil I will this let year. you in on that. I am actually not Cajun or Acadian Canadian, but that name is. That name is a. Um, is a Canadian the the person I got that name from is a Canadian uh heritage person um but the uh the the name is actually more what there are more Cayuettes in the phone book here than any other place in the country in our country you'd have to go to Canada to find any other Cayuettes really and so it's funny that my whole life I've had to you know deal with spelling it and pronouncing it and and here everybody's like Oh, okay, and they—it's like Smith, you know. Like, oh, yeah, right. right. I mean, yeah, you must want to be Laura Jones to there, right? It, so you still have to spell it or pronounce it, maybe, because there's different ways because of all the different French uh, dialects we have here. But, um, but yeah, that that name, which I think is such a pretty name, so I just it have is. to keep it, even though 
I, you know, I guess I had it as a loner, but I kept the name after an early in life marriage. And, and that's it's first Tina Turner did. <laughs> uh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she owns it now. I mean, that's her name. It's, it's, yeah. it's like this, this is yours. So, and, and I love that because you're so in your element, New Orleans. Because, like you said, Laura Tiger. Wait, well, you might as well be Laura Jones down there because it's, <laughs> it's more of that last name than anywhere else in the country. And again, yeah, you said it's it comes, still a weird name. I mean, it's still not a. Yeah. You know, I'm being facetious by saying it's like Jones or Smith because, of course, it's still an odd name. But, but right. it, you know, there are many names here that are nowhere else that are fairly common here or that might be, like, there might be a, a LeBlanc somewhere else or a Boudreaux or whatever, but here that would be a much more common name. Well, again, and like I said, you know, it, it's something that you're, you weren't, uh, you know, willing to, you know, to let go of because it, it, it fits your identity so perfectly. In, in spite of, again, your most... Uh, uh, you know, of all the different changes that you've gone through in your life, it's something that, I mean, it's kind of your identity, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely ties me to my, look, when I had, you know, my maiden name was just a name. And when I uh, got married and took, you know, a different man's name, I mean, you know, for women, let's face it, we're just picking between different men's last names. Um, You know, when I got this new last name, I just felt like I had finally found my name. And and this other thing happened is that finally I had all these people saying, oh, what a beautiful name. And I thought, well, I'm keeping that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you don't let that one go when it comes along, right? No, so. no. But, uh, no, I'm but, very but, lucky that way. <laughs> but you were recently married, though, two, or actually two years ago in New Orleans, and I wanted yes. to say congratulations to you about that. Thank you. Thank you. And we had an incredible wedding, and I I, I don't, know if it's bragging but i'm just gonna go ahead and own it that still to this day still to this day people throughout the city say that it was just the most amazing wedding it, well it really was a unique even among new you know new orleanian weddings are already like nowhere else just like our funerals are like nowhere right. else but even among that and i think the thing that really separated our wedding from you know, the many other versions of New Orleanian weddings that have a second line parade and all those things, was that we involved, uh, we have no children, but we involved uh, many children in our day. Uh, our band, The Roots of Music, um, which is a nonprofit group that helps at-risk youth, our band was 13 kids under the age of 13. So it was kids aged 8 to 13, who were amazing musicians. There's a video of the Second Line Parade on YouTube that you, or you can look it up on my blog, um, that, you know, these kids are amazing musicians. And then we also had, um, my husband works with foster children, and we had a number of the um, teenagers that he had done work with were also involved in our wedding. And so it was really an extraordinary experience. And also kind of an extended part of your seven-year love letter to the city of New Orleans. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, the other thing that made it truly unique was the pussyfooters. I I am a pussyfooter, which is to say I belong to a dance troupe of 30 women, I'm sorry, over 100 women over the age of 30 um, who we dance in the Mardi Gras parades, and we also dance in uh, events and um, parades throughout the year. We do over 50 events per year. And um, I became a pussyfooter four years ago, and and this uh, we wear pink corsets and white combat boots, and um, 
I had, I guess, 20-something of, of the pussyfooters at my wedding, and they served as, uh, I guess, bridesmaids. They made an arch for me to walk through as I came in. And, you know, so that wow. was also unique was to have, we had about 20-something uh, of the women in their pink corsets and white combat boots. They weren't in their official uniforms, but they had all their uniform pieces, you know, just, so I, that was also very unique. <laughs> that is Absolutely amazing. I mean, I, I, and again, like I said, it, it's it's the perfect setting. It was where you had always dreamed of living and uh, oh, yeah. dreamed of, of filming, and and yeah. now uh, you know got married there. So yeah. again, my uh, extended congratulations to you for you, you be able to, like I said, to have this book uh, with a setting in New Orleans and uh, to have all those things. It's just again, it, it seems like it's just it's an extended. Uh, seven-year uh, love letter to the city of New Orleans. And I wanted, before I let you go, I wanted people to be able to find your blog. So uh, tell tell me right now or tell our listeners right now where they can find you online. Well, uh, first of all, I have a website, com that has links to all of my stuff. I got it. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. But my blog, um, which you can connect to through com, is also available at latanola.com. And uh, and then my books are available on Amazon and Kindle, um, but they're also available. Signed copies are available at the Garden District Bookshop here in New Orleans. And so, so one last question again for for, for tourists or people that uh, uh, I guess you can't say that anybody anybody that's born in New Orleans doesn't leave New Orleans, right? So I was going to say like anybody that's coming back to New Orleans <laughs> or or visits once you're well, now the storm did change things because it, before the storm, right. I believe the numbers right. before the storm were that 95% of people that were born here died on the Sturt. And so this this was a place that, you know, people would leave. They'd go to college somewhere or they'd go travel to Europe or whatever, but they would always come home. That's right. And so that was the way it was until the storm. And that was one reason that, and I don't know if people from other places where people move a lot can understand how disruptive this was, but here that was one of the very biggest differences that the storm made is that we lost – a giant chunk of our population for at least two years, and many of them could never come back. But for two years, right. there weren't schools. So without schools, anybody with children really couldn't – it wasn't sustainable to live here. And so, and who can blame people with children for going to find schools for their children? Right, of course, of course. So once their child's enrolled in a school in another state, why wouldn't you wait until the child graduates before you even consider coming back? So that, there are that is very people true. coming home. Yeah, and and so there are still people coming home, and there are still people finding their way back, uh, and there are some people who will never come back, and we have really, in in many ways, lost an entire generation of young people who should yeah. have grown up here and are growing up in places like Utah and Massachusetts, and, you know, but so you that's also, a yeah. unique thing that happened, is losing people who will never come back and who will not die on this dirt. And that is and, and that is very very sad and, and it's unfortunate that it was not their choice to do so. You know, it, it was it was something that was, uh, you know, happenstance or over coffee and, hope, <laughs> and hopefully somewhere in New Orleans. Maybe do like a little visual. You could give me like a little visual tour where you could kind of walk me through some of these great places. And uh, well, actually, that's one of the things. One of my fantasies. You know, we always set these goals for ourselves right. that seem so big in the beginning and then actually become achievable as you move your way toward them. Um, one of my fantasies is that, um, I, you know, you've read the book and there's a tour guide in there, Christine Miller, 
uh, what yes. your listeners don't know is some of the characters in my book are real people. And Christine Miller is one of those real people. She's a real tour guide, and, and you can go take her tour today. And uh, she has a group called Two Chicks Walking Tours. And um, the tour that's described in the book is the Bordellos, Brothels, and Ladies of the Night tour that she gives. Um, but there are several tours that she gives. And, you know, oh, wait, now I totally forgot why I was telling you this. <laughs> why was I telling you about Christine Miller? Because um, I said I, I was going to come down there, and I would have loved to actually, like, have you take me on, like, well, a little yes. personal so tour. So my fantasy you know? is that one day that Christine Miller and other tour guides throughout the city would have a Charlotte Reed tour that you could go on oh, wow. a tour yeah. and see all the spots that are in all the Charlotte Reed mystery books because I really – have done everything I could do to include links to locations, to include oh my God. The businesses that are real. You know, like Christine Miller's information is at the back of the book You're if you want to take her tours. You're so, right. Yeah, so I've designed the book in such a way that you could shop where she shops, eat That's where right. she eats. Yeah, and go to the cemetery she walks through and go to the, you know, like everything she's done you should be able to do. And so my hope is that one day, um, you know, one of these industrious tour groups gets a, a Charlotte Reed tour together and that would make me very happy as if people came to see the you know came here to see her New Orleans Charlotte Reed's New Orleans. Well, the book deserves to take off and and that city deserves to have that and like I said I, I would love like I said to do a follow up and how fun would it be just for my own sake and also for people uh listening and also watching on our on our YouTube channel as well that would I would love to be able to have you personally like go to a couple of these places and and again I would love to 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 plug um you said you said two chicks walking to tour in New Orleans yeah, they're terrific. They have lots of fun tours. Not just, I mean, the the whole Bordellos, Brothels, and Ladies of the Night tour, I thought was such a fun, different way to see the city. You know, I'm not going to go on a million tours of a city I live right. in. Why right. would anybody? But I have been on a few of our tours, and and actually, not to give you too much of a spoiler, but one of the book's mysteries is going to have to do with a tour guide. Um, oh. Yeah, the the one I'm working on right now is to do more with a uh, stalker, a stalker involved in the Hollywood South community, and it will be featuring Brian Bat, who is the gentleman who is, I guess, most famous for his role on Mad Men. Right, right. Where uh, he played the closeted gay man on Mad Men. Oh yeah, right, 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 right. So he's actually a New Orleanian, and uh, so he has given me permission to use him as a real character. Now, obviously, I'm making up what happened to him. None of the things <laughs> I'm writing have happened to him. But, uh, but I'm using him as a real character in the book, uh, much the way that Treme did or The Wire, um, where I have characters that are fictional and characters that are real, et cetera. So, yeah, so the next one will be a stalker in the Hollywood South community, but there is one coming that is set in the tour community. Well, I can't wait to to to, to read that one. And I can't and all the people that are listening out there, like I said, look for the Charlotte Reed Mystery Series. The the current one is called The Secret of the Other Mother. Uh again, by our guest this week, Laura Cayouette. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much. And again, I want that tour to be a reality. <laughs> and until then, I want my own. All right, now, good times there. Uh, talking to Laura Cayuette there. Probably one of the my favorite guests we've ever had. I really, really enjoyed talking with her. And I wanted to thank all of my guests this week. Um, like I said, my main man, Peter Kaufman, uh, him and his girl Wendy coming down from New Jersey to be a part of New Orleans. 
uh, and as mentioned, of course, earlier, uh, the great Shanna Forrestal and uh, the great effort she's doing to bring uh, relief efforts to the great state of Louisiana. Uh, check out Laura's blog. She's had a blog for about seven years. It, again, it reads kind of like a, a love letter to New Orleans. Uh, but again, like I said, you wouldn't have to be a New Orleans resident or even a, a, a Louisiana resident. Uh, I do want you to get involved uh, with the Cajun Santa program. But again, I want to thank all my guests. Uh, you saw how, how fun uh, talking with Laura was. I really enjoyed the book. Check out the book. It's called The Secret of the Other Mother once again. And it's the first part of the Charlotte Reed series, which could very well be a walking tour. I've got the book right in front of me. There's a map in the back, and it's just it's, it's so cool. And I just thought her whole vibe was cool, man. Um, so again, uh, I wanna wanna thank everybody once again. So again, until next week, uh, look us up on Twitter at uh, Tricky Kid the number two. Again on Facebook at Tricky Kid Radio Podcast, um, and then obviously on iTunes. Uh, you wanna subscribe, man, so you can get episodes like this each and every Thursday. Uh, no matter what device you have. And again, go to trickykid.com. Uh, a lot more pictures. Uh, there's links to how to get involved with the Cajun Santa program, uh, how to get Laura's book, uh, the works. So again, till next week, I'm your host, Roy Turner, and thanks for listening to Tricky Kid Radio. <laughs>